Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Take your copy of God's Word and find Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible or maybe a device there, Acts chapter 2, as we get into our teaching time. As you're finding that, let me just say two things. First of all, let's give it up for the worship team and the choir. Woo! Man, I mean, you know, sometimes as the pastor, I'm down here on the front row worshiping, and I totally forget that I need to get up here and start preaching, and I get caught off guard. Oh, wait a minute, I got to get up there, you know. It's just easy to get carried away in heavenly worship. Hey, the other thing I want to point out, and I want to give a shout out uh, to our staff and our pastors and our team, uh, specifically Pastor Keith Caps and Brian Oswald, who really spearheaded our Good Friday experience on Friday night. If you were here, you know how powerful and moving that was. By the way, we had well over 400 people on our campus on Friday night walking through all those stations. Every single person that attended heard the, the, a crystal clear presentation of the gospel. Every believer in Jesus Christ had an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, I just want to let our team know, and Pastor Brian, Pastor Keith, just how much we appreciate them. Hard work went into that. And, uh, and God's people were tremendously, tremendously blessed. So a thousand years before Jesus rose from the grave, God gave his people a promise. And in the days and weeks following the resurrection, the disciples more clearly understood the nature of that promise. In Acts chapter 2, as we will see in just a moment, uh, the apostle Peter got up and he really just explained the whole point of that, of that promise. Uh, that it was grounded in the Scriptures, that it was founded in the heart of God the Father, and that it resounded with the name of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're here to celebrate that promise as we understand it, not only for ourselves, but for every generation and generation and generation to come throughout all the ages of eternity. There's actually three dimensions of that promise that I'm going to share with you this morning from Acts chapter 2. The first of which is simply this, the promise of his resurrection. The promise of his resurrection. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad. And my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. We will revisit that phrase in just a few moments. Keep that in mind. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter resumes his sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Bring therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So check it out. Peter the apostle begins to remind the people that Jesus' life on the earth was one long strand of miraculous signs intended to confirm and affirm Jesus' identity as the Son of God. That's what all the miracles were about. That's what all the signs were about, simply to say that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He's the Son of God. And by the way, if anyone had any doubts whatsoever, if that was true prior to the resurrection, when Jesus walked out of that grave, that absolutely nailed it, that he was absolutely the Son of God, God come in the flesh. That's what Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 1. Look at this. Romans chapter 1. Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look, nobody should have been surprised that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, nobody should have been surprised. Why? Because God said he would. Way back in the scriptures, for over a thousand years, God had said the Messiah will rise from the dead. How do we know this? Well, in almost every church across the world today, somehow, someway, people are reading from 1 Corinthians 15, the famous Easter chapter. Watch this. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and watch this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul said, you should not be surprised. Peter quoted from Psalm 16. Let's go back to that phrase that I highlighted a moment ago. Psalm 16.10, written by David, by the way. You will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. Peter says, look, David wasn't talking about himself. That dude's in the grave right now. We could go over to the cemetery and look at his tombstone. David wasn't talking about himself. David was talking about the Messiah who was to come. That's an important thing. And just remember, the apostles, Peter and the apostles said, we are witnesses of this. We know it's true, not just because of what the Bible says, but because we've experienced it. And let me tell you something, friends. I come to you this morning as your pastor, not primarily this morning with an argument about the resurrection, but rather a testimony of the resurrection. See, because I know Jesus is alive based on what the Bible says, but I also know Jesus is alive because he's alive inside of me. See, not only do I have the witness of the Scripture, I have the witness of the Spirit in me. 33 years ago this month, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, personally and powerfully. And the risen Jesus Christ came to live inside of me. And for over three decades now, Jesus has guided me, he's empowered me, he's given me life, and all the things that make life worth living, and hope for eternity because the risen Christ lives inside of me. I haven't come today as a lawyer. I've come today as a witness to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. The promise of his resurrection is real. Secondly, we see in Acts chapter 2, the promise of his exaltation. But wait, there's more. It gets even better, believe it or not. Watch this in verse 33 to 36. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, now he's going back to David again, one of the Psalms. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now, once again, Peter is going back and he's asking the same question that we ask every week at Crossgate Church, what does the Bible say? And now he goes back to Psalm 110, which, by the way, is the most frequently quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Why? Why do all the New Testament writers go back to Psalm 110? Because it's the psalm that talks about his promised exaltation at the right hand of the Father, which, by the way, was one of the cardinal teachings of the early church. I mean the disciples, the apostles, the people who saw Jesus, who rubbed shoulders with Jesus, and all the rest. They constantly went back to this theme of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and ascended back to heaven, exalted at the right hand of the Father. How do we know this? What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 5. Peter preaching at a different date. Watch this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, then exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior. By the way, the, the original word translated leader there, the same word is translated author of life in Acts chapter 3, and specifically, for those of you that know Hebrews 12, it's translated the author and finisher of our faith is the same word translated leader. Okay, so God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, what about 1 Peter chapter 3? This is Peter writing now. Same theme. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That will send a holy tingle up your spine if you read that a few times. Now, check this out. Acts 7, Stephen, who was the first martyr, the first person killed for his faith in Jesus, Stephen was about to be killed, and this is what went down. Watch this. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Phil, I thought you said Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus standing here? Well, I personally believe, and many commentators agree, that Jesus Christ, when Stephen was about to be martyred and killed for his faith in Jesus, for his witness, Jesus Christ stood up in heaven in honor of that young man who gave his life for the gospel. Now, Hebrews chapter 1, some of the highest theological Christology in the entire Bible Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And lastly, Philippians chapter 2, the famous passage. Watch this. God has highly exalted Jesus. By the way, that phrase, highly exalted Jesus, uh, translated from a word that's the only time it's ever used in the whole Bible. And literally, translated literally, it would mean God has super exalted Jesus. Man, he has super exalted Jesus above everything else and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's a great place for an amen. To the glory of God the Father. Now, that is his exaltation. I would tell you, I don't believe I've even begun to scratch the surface of understanding 
what it truly means that Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father. As a matter of fact, this morning at about 3.30 a.m., God woke me up, and for about an hour, he just, he just put that on my mind and just heart and just thinking and meditating and praying about that, laying there in bed. The, 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 the exaltation, the promise of his exaltation, unbelievable, incredible. The majestic glory of God in Jesus Christ right there. Now, that's the promise of his exaltation. But there's one more thing I want you to see in Acts chapter 2, and that is the promise of his invitation. Okay, let's think about that. The promise of his invitation. Because what we see in the scripture is that as a response to the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, God issues an invitation to people. And basically, the people in Acts chapter 2 who heard this sermon, they kind of said what we say every week at Crossgate Church. What's my next step? You don't believe me? Let's look at what the Bible says. Look at this, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's their version of saying, what's our next step? And Peter said to them, watch this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I love this call for a response. And I love the response that we, that we see the people make. Now what that tells me, it's the same thing we shared at the Good Friday Experience on Friday night. What that tells me is this. Salvation is available, but it's not automatic. You're not a Christian just because you step into a church. You're not a Christian because you're born in the United States. You're not a Christian because your grandpa was a Baptist preacher. You're only a Christian or a follower of Jesus if you personally, consciously receive by faith the free gift of eternal life. Just like we talked about in the testimonies out there with many baptisms. Right? There came a time when these people received Jesus by faith alone. It's important. It's important to understand what, what Peter's talking about here in terms of the appropriate response to the gospel. First of all, he said you need, need to repent. Re repentance has always been a part of the gospel message. The word repent simply means, it's a very simple word, simply means to turn away from one thing and turn to something else. It means to turn around. In this case, it means turning away from sin and, and living our lives for self and, and, and we call the shots in our lives, and we don't need God. He's, he, he may be something, but he's not everything for us. And we turn away from that, and we turn to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord, as the one who gets to call the shots in our lives. And we simply lay it all down and bow down before the Lordship of Jesus Christ, turning from sin, turning to Jesus. That's what repentance means. By the way, this is not in the notes, but uh, even Jesus himself called people to repentance. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, he said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's coming from Jesus Christ. So I take it on a good authority that that's, that's legit. Okay? So Peter calls for repentance. He also talks about the forgiveness of sins, right? And of course, we, we understand, as we should, certainly we understand the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why the cross had to take place. We, we shared that very, very tellingly on Friday night with the Good Friday experience. Without the shedding of blood, specifically on the cross, there, listen, there is no way that your sins will ever be forgiven apart from Christ. Your sin will either be punished in hell or pardoned by Jesus. You take your choice, right? 
The the, the forgiveness of sins and then baptism. We, we, We see an emphasis on baptism here as a response to the gospel. Baptism, of course, we, we, we understand it to be believer's baptism for, from the Scripture. Because uh, you never see anybody baptized in the Bible b- before they, c- they commit their lives and, and receive Jesus by faith. You never see it. I think there's 27 different times you see people baptized, and, and not one of them got baptized before they, they received Christ. That's why we call it believer's baptism. We, we do baptism by immersion as you saw it out there in the mall, if, if, you, if you saw our baptisms earlier. Uh, we do baptism by immersion. The English word baptize is basically a transliteration of the Greek word baptizmos or baptizo, which simply means to immerse, right? I mean, because it's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. Certainly, as you saw people baptized out there, it should remind you of Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you can't bury anybody by simply pouring a little dirt on their head. You've got to put them all the way under to truly bury them. If I passed on today and stepped into glory, I hope y'all wouldn't carry me across the street to the cemetery, lay me out on the grass, and just pour a little dirt on my head and say, well, we buried the pastor, right? Just put me all the way under. See, it's baptism by immersion. You say, okay, Pastor Phil, is baptism necessary for salvation? I mean, does does baptism save us? Well, uh, to make a long story short, no. Okay? Because in the Bible, again, what does the Bible say? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for we are saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone could stand up and say, I have earned this. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor, because when you read that scripture there, it, the, the scripture seems to apply, at least based on what Peter's saying, that if, if you repent and you're baptized, that will lead to the forgiveness of sin. So it sounds like Peter's saying you got to get baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. Well, there's two reasons why that's not true. One is because that would in no way line up with everything else we see in the Bible, right, about about salvation and forgiveness of sins. Just case in point, thief on the cross. What do you do with that? I mean, here's the thief on the cross. He's got moments left to live, and he turns to Jesus, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Not a drop of water to be found anywhere. And yet he went straight to heaven. Straight to heaven with Jesus Christ. But here's the other reason why I don't believe this passage teaches that you have to be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven, okay? And I'm going to take you on a little, little time travel trip here back to seventh grade English, English class, sentence diagramming. Anybody remember sentence diagramming ba- back in the seventh grade English class? I can, I can already hear the weeping and the gnashing of teeth for all of y'all that hated English class. Sentence diagramming. It's, it's awful. It's terrible, right? But it serves a purpose, Okay, look in the scripture in that passage I just read. There's a word for, F-O-R. Okay, when he says for, the forgiveness of sins. The, the original language, the word that's translated F-O-R, in the original language, has multi, multitude of, of, of usages. It's not just only, there's not just one use of that word. Okay, it could mean for the purpose of, or it could mean as a result of. All right, so again, this is just a nutshell. We're just hitting the wave tops here. But let me give you a, a, a really good translation of that statement that Peter made, okay, based on the grammar, because it's not grammatic, grammatically necessary to say that, that baptism leads to forgiveness. Repent so that your sins may be forgiven and be baptized as a result of that forgiveness. Now, that's the teachings of the Bible as we understand baptism. It's believer's baptism. 
You've already been saved. You've already had your sins forgiven. You've already been born again. And now you're following the Lord's in baptism because it's following the Lord obediently. Jesus commands everyone who, who comes to him to be baptized, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. To me, if Jesus tells me to do something, I'm probably going to do it, okay? But, but also there's that public aspect, that this public dynamic. We had hundreds of people gathered in the mall area just a few moments ago for those baptisms. Occasionally, someone will come to me, and they'll say, Pastor Phil, I want to get baptized, uh, but can we just, like, go down to the boat ramp at Lake Hamilton, just you and me, and just knock this thing out? And, and my answer to them would be, nope. Why not? Because it's not public. I mean, listen, Jesus said, you need to confess me before this generation. And I can't think of a better way to do that than through believer's baptism, because it's a public profession of faith. Now, that's important. It's important to understand that, that there's a response, repentance, baptism. We, we, are, we are responding to God's message of, of the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ. But here's one other thing I want you to see about that promise. The promise of the invitation is multi-generational. Did you see that? He said, this promise is for you and for your children. And presumably the implication is, and for their children, and their children, and their children, and their children, and on and on and on. It's multi-generational. But aren't all of God's promises multi-generational? Right? I mean, let's look at the Bible. Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And then Deuteronomy. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, watch this, to a thousand generations. God's promises, certainly this invitation that we see in Acts chapter 2 is multi-generational. Why is that important? Well, it kind of gives you a little backstory as to why at Crossgate Church, I constantly say we are a multi-generational church that leans into the next generation, right? And many times you hear me say this, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And I guarantee you, we want the next generation at Crossgate Church. See, that's why it's such a high priority for us, to make more and better disciples of the next generation within a multi-generational setting. Now, today, we are primarily celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But as we begin to close this message, I also want to use this time and this multi-generational aspect of this promise uh, to talk to you briefly about how we're going to use this message as a springboard for our new teaching series. Because starting this, really we're starting it today in a sense, but next Sunday we're going all in on a brand new teaching series called Next Gen. It's that simple. Super simple, Next Gen. Throughout the month of April and into May, throughout the month of May, we're going to be talking about making more and better disciples of the next generation, which is super, super important. Very practical, very down-to-earth we're going to be talking about how to disciple and, and train your children and your grandchildren to discern between the verses in the Bible and the voices in the world. And God help us, there are so many voices in the world today that our kids and grandkids are hearing that are, that are contrary to the truth. We're going to talk about that in very practical ways. 
Uh, we're going to do another message about just equipping your children and grandchildren in the basic rhythms of, of, of the Christian life. Bible reading, prayer, scripture memory, uh, journaling, just the basic rhythms of the Christian life. We're going to talk about that in very practical ways. Uh, we're also going to do a message on how to maximize disciple-making uh, in the next generation and even multi-generationally, no matter how far away you live from your children or grandchildren, or no matter how much older you are than your children or your grandchildren. That, that multi-generational aspect, again, very practical stuff that we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about how to shepherd, by, by God's grace, to shepherd your children and your grandchildren through the adolescent years. When so many of their peers' lives are falling apart with depression, substance abuse, suicidal ideation, and on and on and on, how in the world are our children and grandchildren going to have and experience peace, the joy of the Lord, and stability in the midst of that? We're going to talk about that. In, in very, very practical and meaningful ways, we're also going to have a message that features a panel of some of our Gen Z students who are going to share from their heart about some of the challenges they're dealing with, uh, how God is bringing them through that, what God is doing in their lives. Uh, you do not want to miss that or any message in this series. But friends, I want to tell you this. I would not want to be the pastor of a church that's not leaning into the next generation. I don't think anybody here listening to the sound of my voice would want to be a part of a church that's not leaning in intentionally, proactively into the next generation. Uh, there are certainly churches that, that just, they don't want to do anything like that. And I will tell you, as our world and our culture runs farther and farther away from God, those churches that fail to lean into the next generation and make more and better disciples, they're just waiting to close their doors just waiting to close their doors. So I'm asking you to partner with me as I partner with you in the days ahead that, to make more and better disciples of the next generation through the power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads all across the worship center, doing business with God, recognizing that God brought us here today to speak to our hearts you may be here today, and, and you've, you've not yet accepted that invitation, that promised invitation. You've not yet repented of your sin, turned to Jesus, received him by faith, realizing that your good deeds and your church attendance and trying to live a good life and all of that can't possibly bring eternal life. If that's the situation with you, the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life is to receive Jesus by faith. John 1 and verse 12 says, To as many as received him, that's Jesus, to as many as believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Salvation is available, but it is not automatic. And I would challenge you today to receive Jesus Christ by faith. By simply saying something like this, mean it with all your heart. Jesus, I do believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I do believe that you rose again from that grave bodily and physically. And Jesus, I, I know you're holding out a free gift to me right now, and I simply want to receive it by faith. It's a, it's a grace gift, not based on my good deeds, not, not based on my church attendance or trying to live a good life or any of that. 
I'm simply trusting in what you did on the cross, Jesus, for my eternal life. And Heavenly Father, I ask today, as we think this weekend about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, just as we said on Friday night, I pray that the words of 2 Corinthians 5.15 would be burned in our hearts, where it says, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. So Jesus, we, we recommit ourselves anew and afresh today to living for you, putting you first, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, give us that fresh sense of, of who you are in our lives. We love you, Jesus, our risen and exalted Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.